Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Allison McNamara, the founder and CEO of Mara Beauty. Hi, Allison. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm excited to talk to you today, Allison. I feel like your brand has really, really like blown up in the last like year, two years, I guess probably since COVID. Would you say that too? Totally. The pandemic was surprisingly really good for us. And it was like the perfect time for that kind of indie beauty, clean space that really took over. So yeah, it's been great. So Allison, before we really get into the business, would love to hear a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you first get into beauty? So it's kind of a funny story. I grew up with my family working in beauty. So it's always been something that I've been around, but I was actually a television host and reporter before doing Mara. So I worked at Pop Sugar for a long time. I did everything from fashion, beauty, entertainment, hosted a a show that was taken from digital to actually linear television. And when that got canceled, um, that was really my dream job at the time. I thought I was going to be like the next Ryan Seacrest. I loved interviewing people, but more importantly, I loved telling stories. And so always had this desire to get into beauty in some capacity. And I, I've always, I have these little notebooks that I had kept when I was younger of different like brand ideas that I had had. And so I was on a trip to Turkey and I thought of the idea for Mara and I really didn't know what would become of it. I kind of went on the journey of creating the business, but had no true intention of like, I'm going to build this type of brand. And so it happened really organically. And I'm really excited to have this kind of second career in a way. Tell me a little bit about your family, Allison, because I feel like you got like an MBA, a PhD, and every kind of educational experience from that family business and from that exposure. Totally. So my dad worked in a variety of CPG companies that you may have heard of, like Neutrogena or Philosophy and Too Faced. And so growing up, like we were really exposed to so much at such a young age. And whether that was ingredient exposure, like I was always telling my friends, like in fifth grade, like, hey, that pimple looks like it needs benzoyl peroxide or that one. I feel like you should be using sal acid. Mind you, I was like 10 years old, so I had no degree and should not have been giving skincare advice. Um, but it really was a cool place to grow up because we were going to commercial sets and getting a firsthand experience at the beauty industry. And so while he's been so helpful, um, his experience is so different than from building an indie business from the ground up. Um, he really worked in more mastige type brands. So it's been a really fun experience. And he obviously is such a great resource, but we disagree on a lot of things. So, uh, <laughs> But it's fun. It's always fun to fight with your family members. Always. Tell me a little bit about that because, you know, obviously you come out, you're coming from a place where these big brands kind of dominated your childhood, your teens, and you're really looking at this indie brand space and becoming a pioneer there. How was that kind of like informed one another, would you say? You know, I think the big thing was I almost had a rejection of the type of brands that I was exposed to when I was younger. You know, I've always been like a big hippie when it comes to the environment. So doing something that was fully in glass that had a very... um, you know, environment first approach when it came to ingredient sourcing and how we manufacture. Those were things that were really passionate to me early on before they were really even trendy. So this is like 2014, 2015, when I'm starting to kind of put the seeds of Mara together. And so, you know, places like Neutrogena are all in plastic and they were oil free. I have an oil based line. So a lot of the things that I was kind of exposed to were the things I rebelled against, which ultimately kind of created what Mara is. 
And what about Mara? Like, what is what would you describe as the brand ethos or values or even like the proposition? Well, everything that we do really is tied to this proprietary wild collected algae blend that we source from France and Ireland. And everything goes back to making sure that we're not harming the environment, specifically the ocean. So taking an ecotoxicity approach, making sure that the ingredients don't harm our waterways or end up back into our oceans. And that kind of forms the DNA of the brand. But really, I mean, my goal is to change your skin. I want, I have really effective products that we have specifically formulated to kind of a tackle all the skincare concerns that I have. And I think that most women and men in any category of age um, have. How would you describe negotiating those two points, Alison? Because, you know, in beauty, people want things that work, but at the same time, people are talking more about, you know, the environment and being purpose-driven and being, you know, everything to every consumer. But I think a lot of brands get stuck there. You know, they're not able to really communicate one thing and then the other. How do you guys approach it? That's really interesting. So I I think that because sustainability was so organic to how the brand was built, it kind of weaves itself in really naturally with our talking points. But everything really starts with the product development, the R&D and the research that goes into the formulation. Because we own our formulas, I have a firsthand approach or experience to see like every single um, supplier that we use and where it comes from, the safety data sheets on everything, um, how far it's coming to Los Angeles where we manufacture. And so all those things are really important, I think, for sustainability and for manufacturing, really getting to make sure that the ingredient that you're using truly is what it says it is. Because when you're going through maybe a contract manufacturer where they own the formulation you don't really know what's actually in your products. You don't know the supplier. And yes, they say it's vegan or it doesn't have X amount of these trace materials, but maybe it does because you don't actually have access to that. So I think that's been really important to like the sustainable angle for Mara. But I don't know. I just think it's making cognizant choices too. Like, you know, glass versus plastic. Okay, if you can get a material that's, maybe it's an organic ingredient that you wanted to use, but the non-organic non-GMO version is much closer than I would go with the non-organic non-GMO version. You know, it's making those kind of decisions as you're going through the process. As an indie founder, a lot of these things, you know, while certainly ambitious, sound also really, really expensive. How do you make choices around that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's always a constant choice with cost, especially when your brand doesn't have investment. So I think one of the key things that we did that was not intentional, but was so important was that I launched with one product and each success of that product kind of fed into the creation and development of the next product. So the initial investments I made on the brand were the first five formulations and then the the actual manufacturing and components for the universal face oil. And once that product started taking off, I was able to buy the components and everything for the second product. And it's kind of been that way since launch, since 2018. So it makes it a little bit easier to invest in one thing at that current moment than it is to invest in, you know, 10 skincare products that you're launching with. And you launched C2C, correct? I did. Yeah. Do you think that was maybe a little bit easier then? Because I know in the retail environment, it's certainly like about well, what do you have next? What other product, what else can you show me to get kind of in to some of bigger retailers? Were you able to kind of set your own terms when you first started? In 2018, when we launched D2C, it was always the intention, by the way, to go into retail. I truly believe in the value of amazing retail partners. And especially if you are a non-celebrity, non-influencer founder, I think it is really important to be able to have the coattails and the support of an amazing brand like Acredo, for example. 
But when we launched D2C, I think it was an easier time. There was less in the market um, and people were excited for the newness, you know, oh, this new indie kind of D2C brand. But we did go retail three months after launch. So we were in Credo, yeah, three, three months after we launched in 2018. And where does that all sit now, you know, D2C versus, you know, wholesale? Because obviously Credo is an incredible partner, but I know you launched on Amazon, you're sold in so many different places now. What's been the larger approach? It's been really interesting to watch the percentages shift because we were a more digitally native brand kind of before the pandemic. It was more like a 50-50 split. But even as as shoppers were going online to shop, we did see our partners, our retail partners really grow. And we've even seen that kind of heightened this year while people are going back into stores. So we really are more around 20, 25% D2C and the remainder retail. And we do kind of expect that to stay in that capacity, even as we continue to expand with larger partners. And what are you thinking about larger partners? Because obviously, you know, you're not an Ulta or a Sephora or even a Target right now. Um, is that something on your radar? Is that something that you want to do eventually? Definitely. I mean, fortunately for us, you know, we really want to accelerate the growth that we have right now. And we've seen tremendous growth over the past three years. And we do now have the capacity to expand into a larger retail store. I think one thing that I was really careful about is not getting too big too quickly because it is expensive when you're trying to meet the demands of these purchase orders of these larger clients. And so we're really careful about not bringing on too many people at once. We really launched like one large partner a year, started with Credo, we added in Cult Beauty, we brought on Blue Mercury the following year, and then Revolve and Goop were our most recent partners. Um, and then Amazon. Amazon I kind of put in its own category. Uh, we launched them two years ago. So yeah, we're ready and we're excited, um, but we, you know, we have to take our time. Talk to me about Amazon because, you know, I think there used to be this real push and pull amongst beauty people that, oh, should you be on Amazon? Can you be there if you're on Nordstrom or at Credo? Or where, where's the customer shopping? Is it a positioning? Is it the right positioning for us? And I'm just wondering now, do you think that's all gone out the window? I do think it's gone out the window a little bit because I do believe in being where the shopper is. And I shop on Amazon. I try and shop local and small when I can, but there are things that I love to buy on Amazon. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for it too. So I wanted to be at the place where our customer is. And we also were having issues with people trying to resell our products on Amazon. So when you go through an amazing partner like a Carbon Beauty, who we work with, they really aggressively go after people who are trying to resell your product. Um, which I, I don't want people buying faulty Mara like that. That's really important to me too. I want the user experience, the customer experience to be authentic and, you know, undecidedly Mara when they receive it. And so I think by Xing out the third party sellers, you know, going with the carbon, we've really been able to do that. Talk to me about the line specifically. You know, you mentioned a second ago that you started with the universal face oil and that was your hero. And tell me about the cadence of growing and what, how you're filling out the assortment. Okay. So this is like my favorite part because I love <laughs> products. And I think that what we've done is like a really unique, but very concise edited offering. So I launched with the universal face oil because that truly is the one product that if anyone were to try it, they would be able to incorporate it into their routine. It really is like that everyday all in one face oil, really unique ingredient profile and has the algae. But for me, I love clinically proven actives. So doing retinol in a clean way was something that was really important and really the 
first idea I had for the brand. So I think the algae retinol face oil when we launched that was really a revolutionary product, but we were so small at the time, we didn't quite get the recognition. Um, now it's really getting a lot more kudos and this is an amazing product, but when we launched it at the end of 2018, our first year, you know, we did get an amazing spread in WWD, but like other than that, we were so small that it didn't really get like that recognition until um, Credo, really helped us kind of show that you could do retinol in a way that was accepted at a clean retailer. And so from there, we built out the line to kind of have these multitasking products that are in new formats, like the Seacale sunscreen serum, which is an oil-based sunscreen, or our algae enzyme cleansing oil, which is actually our top seller. That is a kind of super hybrid cleansing oil. You can use it damp, dry, as a light peel. And so I think the multifunctionality and the easy to use of these products has made it so easy for people to incorporate one or all of them into their routine. It sounds like you're teaching the customer a lot of new things about beauty. Do you think they totally understand like all the benefits that they're getting from these various products? Because they are doing so many different things. Being a writer and journalist by trade, I think that that's something that we've done really well as education. And so that's one of the key reasons why we launch one product at a time. We spend so much time on our own pages, on our website, with our retailers, and in trainings with our retailers on the purposes, the ingredients, the ways to use our products. So I do think that we are able to articulate that to the customer because we are so slow with how we roll out our products. Slow is probably the wrong word. I mean, I, we do it in a very um, strategic way. What's your favorite product? Oh my gosh. I, I probably the algae retinol face oil because it truly changed my skin. But I think the cleansing oil is something that I think is our most unique product. You also recently expanded into you know inner beauty and then also outer beauty in the sense of body. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So supplements were something that kind of really were inspired by the pandemic. I've always been like, I'm a woohoo. Like I, I drink the goop juice. I love all the things. I love moon juice. I love all the wellness things. I love it. So when I was in deep COVID with everyone else, I was reaching for so many different vitamins and, you know, things to support my immunity. And I just figured it's such a natural extension for skincare, like great skin starts in the gut. And so I wanted to create something that you know, I wanted to drink every day and was really kind of combining the key supplements that I was reaching for. And so that was the kind of birth of C vitamin C glow. And then we have a second supplement called algae mineral skin detox, which really supports clear skin from the inside out. So it's got a really beautiful detox blend and both are available on our website, Amazon. And then we sell them through Air One, which um, I think is an amazing discovery place for people who love supplements. Wait, tell me a little bit about that. So Erewhon was a really exciting addition to our retail lineup last year. I actually had pitched them this idea of doing a tonic bar collaboration. They hadn't done a tonic bar collaboration with a big beauty brand before or any really like influencer or celebrity at the time. So we actually came up with this thing called the Mara Skin Detox. It was available for free for all Erewhon members at all of the locations last August. And that was the launch of Algae Mineral Skin Detox. And now I'm sure you've seen that Erewhon has done many a collaboration, smoothie collaboration since then, but it was a really fun way to kind of introduce Mara to the wellness customer that maybe isn't shopping at Credo per se. So it was really exciting for us. And I, I love supplements. We'll definitely do more at some point. And you've also dipped your toe into color a little bit. What's that all about? 
I always thought I was going to have a color cosmetics line to be totally transparent. I love skincare more, but I just, I love color cosmetics. So I wanted to do something that felt very on brand for Mara. And I think lip was the easiest way to kind of dip our toes in it, see if our customer wants it. And it's been really successful for us. We did the sea silk lip balm in clear and then a soft coral. It's very highly pigmented for a balm. So shows up on so many different skin types and tones, which is really nice. I hate when there's no color payoff. Like I love bright color. So that was really important. And I do see us expanding the lip balm color range, but also doing other color cosmetics at some point. You're totally right about payoff. I mean, I think that's such a disappointing feeling when you try a clear lip balm or you try a lip balm from a skincare brand and it just doesn't have the performance that you're looking for. It sounds like you're doing a lot, Allison. You know, obviously the cadence of retailers, the cadence of product launches, you know, and you don't have outside investment. What is that? What are your thoughts on that? I have so many thoughts. I mean, when I started the business, it was really just like a side hustle. And now it's become a true business, which is really exciting. But at the same time, I have such a clear idea of the products I want to create and where I want to go that I was originally hesitant to bring on an outside partner because I wanna make sure that I'm able to create the products that I want to create. But now that we are in a place to really accelerate our growth and are having some really exciting conversations with new retailers, we are considering the possibility of bringing on outside investment with the right partner, but it's with the right partner. That has gotta be like the most important thing because I think when you're forced into a decision because you have to make it because of you know, you can't pay your bills or you've got a huge PO that you can't fulfill without bringing on someone else. Um, you know, I, I never wanted to be in that place. So we've really made sure that we were uh, cash positive and made choices like not bringing on more employees. I have a very small team. I probably, I should have more people, but I do most of the work because I wanted to be able to save for the right opportunity and to make, you know, decisions that I'm making now and, and be comfortable where I'm at and not scared. How big is your team right now, Allison? We have four full-time employees that are here working, um, and then we have about 10 contractors that are part-time. So it is around like 15 people that are actively on the brand every day. But, you know, I probably should have hired a few more people this year. But And we definitely will be hiring more people um, as we continue into the fall, winter, and then definitely next year. But yeah, it's it's a small and mighty team. What kind of roles or people are you looking for? The big thing that I love doing, but it takes up so much of my time, is the operational side of the business. We uh, definitely need someone who is great with supply chain and logistics. It's not something that I, that's native or kind of very intuitive to me, but it's something I've learned and I really enjoy doing, but it takes up a lot of time. So wholesale, supply chain, operational is really big for us. I think we need more people in marketing. Marketing is such a huge part of the business, and that is my strong suit as well, but um, really someone who has worked on brands before would be really important, I think, for our future growth. And then just building out like everyone so they have people here that can support them because our team is so amazing and strong, but they need support too. How do you feel about all that in this kind of economic environment? You know, I think a lot of people are renegotiating costs, like both supply chain costs as well as employee costs. What are you thinking about there? It's tough. I mean, we are potentially going into a recession. So I keep that in mind. That's on the back burner. My costs have gone up so much, like with our 
raw materials and our manufacturers. And it just, we haven't raised our prices. So, and that's something I'm very passionate about trying to maintain if I can. So it's hard. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that is always at the forefront, but at the end of the day, like we have to make choices. I always wonder about that price conversation just because, you know, when everybody's raising prices, like customers have to make choices and it's difficult, but I admire the brands that are really kind of trying to stay true to the customer and be honest with the customer and how they're communicating that. Is that how you would do it? Would you say? A hundred percent. Like I said, we haven't raised any of our prices since we launched in 2018. So the universal face oil is still $72. And even though our raw materials have gone up exponentially and we're in California, we're manufactured in California. So labor costs have gone up in the state of California and we've really maintained and, and made it a point to maintain those, those costs for our customers. I, I want to be able to deliver what we you know, what we first had set out the price to be. And how are you feeling about growth both year over year and then kind of going into next year? Do you feel, what can you tell us there? So this year we're up 50% to date and it's exciting because we've been out of stock for a big part of the year on certain key items because of supply chain, but also the demand is so much greater than we had originally forecasted for, you know, the universal face oil particularly and the cleansing oil, which is constantly out of stock. So it's always like, where would we have been if we would have been able to keep up with those types of demands right now? But I'm, I'm really excited and, and grateful that people are coming back and we have new customers. And I'm just really grateful that people are trusting me with their skin because it really is such an honor that people choose us when they go to a store or they're online. And I'm excited about the growth. It's, it's an honor, really. How would you describe your customer? Our customer is anyone who is looking to transform their skin, who wants to have better, healthier looking skin. And I think that ranges from, you know, male to female, it sees no gender. But more importantly, I think it's someone who has either like failed with other products in the past and is looking for something to really transform what they're working with, or someone who is um, kind of on this journey to a cleaner, more sustainable life. I think it kind of has one of those two in common. And we're trying to be price sensitive. So I really want to be able for anyone to try our products. I know that is a tall order when you're a prestige brand, but we've really been trying to keep a lot of our newer launches in the 50 to 70 range versus like our retinol oil is 120 for the full size. And we make smaller sizes of our key products so people can kind of get an entryway into the brand. But all in all, I think it's it's a person who is um, male, female, probably 22 to 85, honestly, huge age range, who is looking for better skin. Let's go back to the economic climate right now, Allison, because I think you know, it's been great to be a founder, especially in beauty, in the good times, you know, ever since probably 2010 and the Instagram era. When you look at how, you know, the next year or two years might play out with this uncertainty from the pandemic and inflation, you know, what's important for you to prioritize as a leader? That's a great question. I think when it comes to prioritizing things as a leader, it's just going back to the core DNA of delivering amazing products and really working on what we're offering to our clients. I've always said that I'm not just going to launch a product just to launch a product. There has to be a true need for it. It has to be a new way of of either re-envisioning that ingredient that hasn't been done before in that format or a pairing of different types of ingredients that really offer something new. So I think 
people are going to have to make choices when it comes to how they spend their money. And I think we have to make choices on the things that we are creating. So it's going to be going back to the DNA of the brand of just creating beautiful products that people need and also not launching things if people don't need them. Right. So I think making those choices um, as a business, you know, do we need to do X, Y, and Z more colors of something? Do we need to get into that new category at this time? Or do we focus on building up the hero skews that we already have? What's been hard for you as a founder? I mean, everything and nothing at the same time, right? Because it's only as hard as you let it be. I've learned that like frustration, difficulty, learning curves. It's all really a state of mind. And I always think if I'm getting really frustrated with something, like I'm working through learning EDI right now. Last year, I learned how to do NetSuite. I took my company onto NetSuite myself. I have no accounting background. Allison, will you describe for our audience what EDI is? EDI, I mean, look, you could probably describe it better than me because I'm still at the very early stages, but it really is this kind of complex uh, way of delivering purchase orders back and forth to a retail partner. Many places are on this. An example is Blue Mercury of a place that we're currently at. Um, But this is a way of transmitting data in a very complex way with a language that is probably one of the hardest languages I've ever had to learn. But I'm excited. And I think it's only like things are only as challenging as you let them be. We're smart people. I've gotten this far um, in my business. I can learn something new. So I think it's that openness to learning new things that makes the challenges not as challenging as they probably are. Besides your dad, obviously we've covered him. Would you say you have a lot of mentors or kind of people surrounding you that allow you to kind of remember that? 100%. I've been so lucky to not only have amazing women founders that are friends, like Amy Liu from Tower 28. We have like a really amazing core group of female founders that I can always text in a pinch if I have a business question. But I also think my background of the people that I've worked for and worked with have also been so instrumental into the growth of my business. Like Jen Atkin was, I worked for her at Main Addicts and she's been so integral to our early kind of success. She was so sweet to share the product and genuinely liked the products that we had and um, is always there if I ever needed to ask something. I'm always hesitant though to, to, to ask questions um, sometimes to women that I respect so much just because I, I know how busy they are. So I, I, I haven't really gotten to like, you know, ask her all the things that I'd want to ask. Uh, but then I also worked for some other amazing female founders who really helped me in the long run, like Lisa Sugar from Pop Sugar, um, you know, was one who I worked for for years. And I actually just spoke with her the other day. It's always fun to kind of reconnect in a way. Uh, so yeah, I think there's the support has been incredible. I have the same way when it comes to asking other people for help or for advice. It's really hard. Why is it? You know, I'm sure like people would be so happy to give it. And I get asked for advice all the time. And I'm always like, wow, that's so cool that they had, they had the confidence to ask me because I don't always, it's not necessarily confidence, but it's just like, you know, it's just this weird feeling that you get sometimes when you're asking for advice. Totally vulnerable and also kind of like, you know, humbling in a way too. What advice would you give to someone who is starting out in beauty today, whether they want to be a founder or eventually launch a business in five years, you know, what do you think it takes besides obviously resilience and grit? I think it really comes down to the idea. Are you offering something new? Because the world has so many beauty brands. There are plenty of choices, but what is your new spin on it? And I get that we're all different. So every single person is going to have a slightly different perspective on something, but this perspective has to be strong. It has to be very refined. It has to be mulled over, I think, a million times and revised until it gets to this kind of really strong, perfect core idea. 
And I think that you have to also be ready to be in bed with this idea, this concept for, you know, decades, because if you don't love the idea, you're going to be working on this every single day. You're going to be thinking about it every hour that you're awake and it's going to be in your dreams and your nightmares. So, you know, you have to truly love it. Do you think the beauty landscape is even more competitive than it was in 2018 and getting more competitive? I think when we look at things, hindsight is 2020, right? So we look at something in 2013 and we're like, it was so much easier then. But we only know that because we've experienced and lived through 2013. But the person in 2013 didn't feel like it was easier at that time, right? So I think that, yes, there might be more competition, but there's also more access to things for you to be successful. Platforms that we didn't have at that time where you can tell your own story or be your own brand in a way, like having your own... Instagram page that didn't even exist really in 2013 or the aesthetics that have kind of evolved since then. So I don't necessarily think it's harder, but I do think that the amount of things you have to do to be successful is larger. You have to be on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. You have to be sending to influencers and knowing who's cool. Like there is more to do, but there are also more avenues for you to succeed. Thank you so much for being here, Allison. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.